0: Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group, The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. Luke chapter nine and verse 51. The Bible says it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received back up into heaven where he came from that he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. It's close to the end. He set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Now, a flint, for those of you who are younger and don't know, and for those of you who are older and don't know, When it says he set his face like a flint, that simply means he set his face like a rock. He set his face like a stone. There was a resoluteness in his face to go to Jerusalem. He now started his long and final last journey to go to Jerusalem, where waiting for him in Jerusalem was death on the old rugged cross. We could just as easily read this text to say, he set his face like a flint to go to the cross. There are two kinds of courage at work in the world today, always have been. First of all, there is the courage of the moment. It doesn't require any specific foreknowledge of what's about to happen It doesn't require any special training or anything like that. The courage of the moment is simply when you react to something that happens to you. You didn't know it was coming, you didn't know what was going to happen, but you react in that moment. Probably the most dramatic example of that kind of courage in our lifetime and in the United States happened on September the 11th, 2001, when the World Trade Center towers were burning and we now know were soon to come crumbling to the ground And the emergency medical personnel and the firefighters who were already in those buildings responding to something they didn't know and didn't expect Then the fire began to burn out of control all over the building and it became evident that the building was soon going to collapse. They didn't run out the front doors of those buildings to safety. They ran back in the front doors of those buildings and saved scores of people who without their help at that moment would have died and been added to the list of Americans killed in the terrorist attacks on our nation on September the 11th. That's the courage of the moment and thank God for people who at times they don't know when it's coming, something rises up within them and allows them to perform heroic acts in the moment. Thank God for that kind of courage. Then there is something we will call planned courage. Planned courage stands at the starting line, looks ahead and sees on the other end the finish line. But in between the starting line, And the finish line, they see every kind of crisis and calamity that will come against them between the starting line and the finish line. They see every attack from people. They see every kind of grievous experience. They see the people in their way that are going to pass away and cause them great sadness. They see all of the sickness. They see all the disease. They see all the financial problems. They see all of that between the starting line and the finish line. And they stand at the starting line and move forward anyway because it's the right thing to do and it is the plan. Jesus Christ demonstrated that kind of planned courage when he stood at the starting line, knew all of the things that were going to happen to him in his life, and still he set his face like a flint for the cross. Because the cross was God's destiny and God's plan for him on this earth. Jesus Christ came here to die. And he set his face like a flint, resolutely like a rock toward the cross. I don't know everything. Matter of fact, you can do me a favor if you ever meet anybody in the community that says, y'all pastor must know everything. Please tell them, I don't know everything. But I do know this. I know that nearly six out of every 10 marriages in America ends in divorce. Now, I'm not picking on you today. If you're here and you're in the middle of a divorce or if you're on the backside of a divorce, listen, I know things happen. I didn't come here to preach about your marriage situation, but I know six out of every 10, nearly six out of every 10 marriages ends in divorce. I know that. And I also know that my wife and I, about two weeks ago, celebrated 26 years of marriage. The other night, we're going to sleep. I'm almost asleep and it just dawned on me. And I looked over and I said, honey, can you believe we have been married 26 years? Her answer surprised me a little bit. She said, yeah, I can believe it. (laughs) Well, I just rolled back over and began to drift off into dreamland. It wasn't three minutes later, I feel an elbow in my back. And I'm thinking, what is up with this? So I said, what? She said, has it only been 26 years? (laughs) 26 years we've been married. Six out of every 10 marriages ends in divorce. I'm gonna tell you, and she would second me on this. There are a mighty lot of people who we came up with at the same time. Who got married right around the same time we did who didn't make it 26 years they didn't make it some of them 10 years some of them didn't make it five years some of them didn't make it two years you say well brother jeff let's think about those people maybe they had some financial considerations that worked against them making it in their marriage maybe there was some death and grief that came into their situation there's no telling what it, what it is brother jeff that could have happened to them that didn't happen to you that enabled you to make it and them not to make it all shut up I can take you back to days in our marriage where we have literally bowed as a family on our knees in our living room with tears streaming down our faces and begged God to do something about our financial situation. It had gotten so bad we didn't know where the food was coming from. We didn't know where the next bill was going to be paid from. We didn't have any money and we got down and asked God to do something about our financial situation. The other day, we were talking about 26 years of marriage, and we began to talk about all the people in our lives that were at our wedding that have died in the 26 years after that. My father, who was at our wedding, is dead. My grandfather, who officiated the ceremony of our wedding, is dead. His wife, my grandmother, who was at our wedding, is dead. The best man at my wedding is dead. His wife, who was at our wedding, is dead. Sherry's Uncle Leon is dead. Her grandmother is dead. Her grandfather is dead. And I'm sure there are countless others who have left this world for another world. And every one of them caused great grief in our lives. But we're still here. 26 years later, we are still married and still happy and still going on with God. And listen, you say, what's the difference? I will tell you what the difference was. 26 years ago, we stood as two young people in the altar of a church and none of our invited guests could see it. But as we made our pledge to one another before that company and before God, this late teenager and this barely out of his teenage years had our faces set like a flint on the finish line. We knew what was between us us in there and we decided together to go on and weather the storm anyway we took the first step and the second step we've been beaten we've been battered we've been blooded we've been bruised but it's 26 years later and we're still here because we set our face like a flint toward the finish line and we're not going to stop till we make it to that place more marriages need that kind of commitment I don't know why every marriage breaks up, but I believe many marriages don't make it to the finish line because at the very beginning, not one of them set their face like a flint against the future and said, we're going on no matter what. I started in the ministry 30 years ago. I actually surrendered to the ministry a lot longer than that ago. I was 10 years old when I felt the call of God on my life to preach the gospel. I went into the ministry with a lot of boys. They preached. Some of them were gifted. But today, I'm still preaching the gospel in Vine Alabama, at the greatest church in this whole state. And many of them are not preaching anywhere. One of them I know was selling used cars, one of them is selling cemetery plots, one of them is selling insurance. One of them used to be at least an agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. One of them is a professor at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. I don't know why they've dropped out of the race. I don't know why they're out and I'm still in. It's not because I'm a better preacher than them. It's not because I'm a better man than them, but I believe some of it is because when I was 10 years old, I took the challenge to do the will of God in my life. I saw the end from the beginning and I saw all the mess in the middle and I made up my mind as a 10 year old boy as much as I could I am going on I'm going all the way and Through it all I'm here today because Those years ago I set My face like a flint to get to the Finish line from the starting line whatever Was in the middle Jesus Set his face like a flint Toward the cross Why because it was God's destiny For his life It was God's purpose for Jesus in his life To die on the old rugged cross. And listen, not only did God know it, Jesus knew it. Before the foundation of the world was ever laid, God had already set as the destiny of his only begotten son that he would die on the cross. God knew it and Jesus knew it. Don't you think after Eve bit into the fruit and Adam sinned and Jesus Christ came to the garden and said, Adam where art thou don't you think on that very day he must have looked up toward heaven at some point and said father can I go ahead and go to the cross now can I go ahead and do my work now can I go ahead and fulfill my destiny now can I go ahead and accomplish my purpose now but it wasn't time and the Bible tells us in the New Testament that it was in the fullness of time that God summated everything together and when it was time God said it was okay but Jesus already knew what his destiny was. He already knew what his purpose was. His purpose was to die for your sins and mine on the old rugged cross. And he set his face like a flint to go to the cross. But when he came to the garden looking for Adam, don't you think he might have said, let me do it now. Some years later, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were sentenced by the evil King Nebuchadnezzar to go into the fiery furnace and be burned for having stood for Jesus Christ and their faith and testimony and their belief in the Bible and Almighty God. And he threw them into the burning, fiery furnace. And after several minutes, he said, take a look and see what's in there. He said, we threw in three men bound with their coats and hose and other garments. And lo, I see four men walking around loose, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Don't you think when they came out of the other side from the fiery furnace that he must have said, Father, let me go now. Let me do now what I know my purpose is. Let me go to the cross now. Let me go to Calvary now. It is my destiny to die for the sins of the world. Let me go now. But it was not yet time for him to go. Now, you know what we think? And let me say this, God had a destiny for Jesus and a purpose for Jesus, and it was the cross. God has a purpose and a destiny for every person in this room. God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for every person in this room. But you know what we think? Here's what we think. Here's what we're trained to think. We are trained to think that all the good things that happen to us are good and all the bad things that happen to us are bad. But wait a minute. You will remember, won't you, that as he set his face like a flint toward the cross, it wasn't very long after that until one of his disciples, one of his closest men, Judas, sold him for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed him with a kiss when the soldiers came. Judas was the son of perdition. Jesus said so. And if the Bible's true and we know that it is, Judas died and went to hell. He sold out the Savior. And yet in selling out the Savior, and there's no way you can make that a good thing. There's no way you can make Judas selling him for 30 pieces of silver and kissing him on the cheek and betraying him to the soldiers. You can't. Construe that as a good thing. That was a bad thing. That was one of the things Jesus saw at the f- starting line that was going to happen to him before the finish line. That was not a good thing. But wait a minute. In so doing, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver and kissed him on the cheek. He actually helped Jesus fulfill his destiny because his destiny was the cross. Well, then one day the soldiers came and Peter drew out his sword. Impetuous Peter drew his sword out of his sheath, swung at one of the soldiers and chopped his ear off of his head. He was defending Jesus. He was kind of like us. We all associate with Peter and we say, boy, I wish I'd have been him. If I'd have been there, I wouldn't have missed. I'd have chopped his head off. That'd have been it. If I'd have had the chance to have been there and done what Peter did, I would have done it. I would have done it right. And those soldiers would have run for fright because of my strong defense of Jesus. But wait a minute. There's no way you construe that as being a bad thing. Peter was trying with everything he knew and with everything he had to defend Jesus But in defending Jesus, Peter was actually standing in the way of his destiny and the plan of God for his life and for the payment for our sins. Judas betrayed him but helped him get to the cross Peter defended him but hurt his plans to get to the cross You know what that tells me that tells me when things come up in your life that are not good You need not go around here all the time cursing the devil and Weeping and getting all upset about it and when good things happen to you You need not shout too loud because Paul summed it up when he said for we know All things, good, bad, and ugly, all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Don't let your face get surrendered to the earth because of circumstances. Set your face like a flint toward the plan of God and the destiny of God for your life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our Faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How can you equate joy and the cross in the same sentence? You can't unless the cross was your destiny and the cross was the destiny of Jesus and the plan of God for his life. He set his face like a flint to go to the cross. It was his destiny. He could not be happy truly happy until he had achieved his destiny to get from the starting line to the finish line. If he had to go through hell and high water to get there. One of my favorite stories from the road, and there aren't many because I grew to dislike it very much. Brad and I, we watch football all the time on TV. We do. When I get home on Sunday afternoon in the fall, he's already got the TV on, got the Tennessee Titans on, because that's who we like. You may like the Atlanta Falcons. That's your trouble. We like the Titans. (laughs) The only problem is I get home, he's got the Titans on, but he's sitting in my recliner. I have to get him up out of the chair and put him on the couch where he's supposed to be. We watch teams we don't even care about. The second game comes on Sunday afternoon, doesn't come on three o'clock, who's playing? Oh no, I don't care, just turn it up. We, We watch a lot of football. If you come by our house on Saturday night about midnight, you'll see us watching a lot of times some of those Western Athletic Conference college games. University of East California, school for the emotionally disabled against some school from Hawaii. We don't even know who they are don't know what their names are but we watch them we were in Greenville South Carolina one night so Saturday night and here we are we were working Thursday Friday night and Sunday morning but we didn't have a Saturday night date so we've got the bus parked in a mall parking lot in Greenville South Carolina and the Titans were in the playoffs that night against the Pittsburgh Steelers playing the game in Nashville We'd have been home. We could have gone. That's what we kept telling ourselves and We got real sad and upset about it But at least we had the game because we had the NFL Sunday ticket piped into our bus. We could watch them all That's how bad we are. We didn't even just get it at home. We got it on the bus Every game on our bus Well, they fought and scrapped and clawed and it got to the end and the Steelers were winning by a couple of points But the Titans had one more chance Brad, you'll remember this. They marched the ball down the field. Steve McNair was the quarterback back in those days. Now you can feel old. He's retired now, and he was your guy. He marched them down the field. They got to about the 25-yard line, and they couldn't get any further. But that's all right, because they had a guy on their team whose name was Joe Nedney. Joe was the field goal kicker. He hadn't even been on the field. Maybe 10 seconds in the whole game. That's about what he averaged every game because all he does is kicks extra points and tries field goals. They got down there to the 25-yard line. They set the ball seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. Coach Scott, helped me. Seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, about the 32-yard line. Goal poster, 10 yards deep in the end zone. It's going to be a 42-yard field goal. That's lengthy, but it's not too long for Joe Nedney because he could kick them. He comes trotting out on the field. All these other guys got mud and dirt and filth all over their uniforms. All of them are sweating and bleeding. Joe Nedney doesn't have a stain on his uniform. He didn't even look like a football player. Because he hadn't been in there, all he does is kicks the ball. Now there's three seconds left in this game. And Joe Nedney has come out on the field to either rejoice over the victory he's about to provide or weep over the defeat he's going to preside over. Joe's on the field. This is his moment. His whole life he's prepared for this moment right here. When he was a little boy, his parents had him out playing soccer. And then he learned how to kick a ball sideways, how to run up on it and kick it sideways. Then he learned how to kick it between two uprights. His whole life he has trained. 75 times a day he kicks field goals of different range in practice. All of his life he has trained for this moment. Three seconds of time. I don't know about you. I'm getting excited for him while I'm standing up here. He gets out there and he's ready to go. I'm left footed. Joe was right footed. and We always had to play with me. Joe lines up for the kick. He takes a step or two toward the ball that's now been snapped back from the center when all of a sudden the whistles blow. No play. Because Bill Cower, the coach, Of the Pittsburgh Steelers strategically positioned himself next to the referee and when he saw the ball was about to be snapped he called timeout now here's Joe Nedney three seconds on the clock he's already gone through the mental preparation to go forward and kick the ball now he's got to wait another two minutes while the networks play their commercials and the Steelers mill around on the field waiting for the clock to start again Now we're ready to go. He stood through the whole game, his whole life. He's waited for this three seconds. He finally got on the big stage. He's about to get it or miss it. And Coach Cower called a timeout. That's not a good thing. The other team's done something to get in his way. But he says, well, that's all right. I knew that was coming. I'm going to kick the ball for the uprights. And I'll never forget this. I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. 2,000 to 3,000 Pittsburgh Steelers fans are sitting in the end zone right in front of him. The Tennessee folks sold the Pittsburgh people some tickets, but they put them down the end of the very end of the end zone. Thought they were giving them the worst seats in the house, but right now Joe Nedney thinks they're the best seats in the house for them because while he's getting ready to face those uprights and kick that ball, his moment in time has come. They're all standing up shouting, block that kick! Block that kick. You ever had 3,000 people stand and look at you and say, we don't like you. Your mother stinks. I mean, it's hard to perform in those kind of situations. But Joe's facing it down, screaming people saying, we want you to fail. A timeout has now iced the blood in his veins. He's not as red as he was two minutes ago, but he's ready. He comes forward. The ball is snapped all Of the energy being expended by the offensive lineman trying to keep the defense out and the defense straining for everything they have to do what the fans are encouraging them right behind them to do. Block that kick. Joe Nedney comes forward. He's already coming forward as the ball is sailing back to the holder through the air. And when it hits the ground, he kicks it. It goes straight through the uprights. I'm not exaggerating fireworks went off all around the stadium. The people went absolutely berserk. I don't think I've ever seen a reaction like that. They did everything but run on the field and tear the goalposts down. These rockets are shooting off into the air over the skyline of the city of Nashville, and delirium sets in amongst the people. Joe Nedney is crying. He's hugging the guy that held the ball for him. He's patting all the offensive linemen on top of their helmets. It's a scene that you could only dream about and Hollywood couldn't come up with. When all of the sudden, Jeff Fisher is shaking hands with Coach Bill Cower, When all of the sudden, they flip back to the scene on the field, and all of the officials are standing around a penalty flag that was on the field. One of his offensive linemen had twitched a little bit, and they had called him for illegal procedure. Now, after all of that, he's got to do it again. The Rockets have already been shot off. The fans have gone crazy. The coaches have shaken hands. All of his teammates have hoisted him up on their shoulders. He's been through a timeout. Now he's actually accomplished his goal. He has fulfilled his three seconds of destiny and he's got to do it again. The smoke is still hovering over the stadium from the pyrotechnics that have gone off where he made it the first time. He's got to do it again. Now think about this. This is his moment of destiny. This is what he's trained for all of his life. This is his purpose for living. In the next three seconds, he's either going to rejoice over his success or weep over his failure. But three seconds, his whole life comes down to three seconds. The guys on the other team messed him up. They called timeout. The guys on his own team messed him up. They were moving before the snap of the ball. Now the ball's been moved back an additional five yards for the penalty. Now what was a 42-yard field goal is a 47-yard field goal. He's got to do it again. I'm not a place kicker, and I'm glad I'm not, because when those rockets went off, they'd have lost me right there. I wouldn't have had the strength to put my foot into the ball. But once again, they line up. Once again, the offensive linemen exert all of their energy to keep the defensive players out. Once again, the defensive players are straining with every muscle in their body to try to get in and do what the fans behind them are encouraging them to do, and that's to block that kick with the smoke still in the, in the air over the stadium, and the fans much more quiet now because they don't know what's going to happen next. Joe Nidney approached the ball again and somehow watched as the ball sailed straight through the uprights. Titans win. Three seconds. His life came down to three seconds on a football field but listen that three seconds on that football field is nothing compared to the 70 years we're promised in our life up beside eternity what am i saying to you i am saying don't miss your destiny Don't miss the plan of God for your life. If Jesus had missed the plan, every one of us would be lost. All of our sins would remain unforgiven. We would be on our way to hell today if Jesus had missed his destiny. Now listen, for you, Daddy, your destiny may be, God may have put you on this earth to be the parent to your children. To be the beacon that shines the way in their life. You say, you don't know what my kids do. They go out drinking. They go out, they've been in trouble with the police. They've stole stuff. My kids are a mess. They need a daddy that can be the light that shows them the way back. Grandma, grandpa, it could be that God has put you here and your destiny is to be that loving and encouraging grandparent to your grandchildren. Mom, it could be your destiny is to raise your children up with good manners and to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord along with the help of your husband. God may have put you here and your destiny is to raise godly young people. I don't know what your destiny is. I don't know what your three seconds of life is going to boil down to. But I know this. If you miss it, if you miss it, you'll remember it for eternity. Don't miss your destiny. Make sure you are where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and don't you let anybody, no devil of hell, no angel of heaven, no person who sits beside you in church, no person who works with you at the workplace, don't let anybody knock you off the path where you saw at the beginning, all the way to the finish line, all the obstacles in between you and there, you go forward because every time you pass an obstacle, whether it was the other guys calling a timeout or your guys being offsides, listen, whenever you face an obstacle you can rejoice and know I'm that much closer to the finish line. I'm that much closer to the finish line. Jesus set his face like a flint for the cross. Why? Because it was his destiny. It was God's plan. And it was right. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteele.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steels minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.